The first step in getting closer to God is to realize that you need to or that you want to. And the second step in getting closer to God is to realize that it's possible. I want to encourage you to check out my book, Getting Closer to God, Anthologies from the Forefront Trilogy, Book 2. I think this will really be helpful to you in your pursuit of the Lord and help you understand what I learned over the first 30 plus years of my life as a believer, as a minister, and as a missionary in uh, a lot of the countries of the earth. Check it out. Anthologies from the Forefront, Book 2, Getting Closer to God. It's on Amazon. Welcome to Foundational Missions Leadership Moment. Join your host, Scott McClelland of FX Missions, as he deep dives into the lives of leaders to glean secrets that will propel today's leaders to new heights. Here's Scott. Welcome back. This is the second part of our interview with Scott Seidler. Last time we talked about how Scott got into business and how he shifted his business through the pandemic, always trying to do what's right for his clients and prospects. If you haven't already caught that, go back and listen to episode 226. As we continue, we're going to discover how carefully looking at another business's books helps Scott avoid a disaster. Your background's in musical theater. You obviously have his family background in the business you're in, and you've tried to approach the business from an integrity, creating an environment of trust. I think that's how you're approaching what you're doing. Can you tell me a time when that was specifically challenged that comes to mind? I can think of some in my, yeah, <laughs> in we, my business. Um, so I, I originally, I was the business kind of a historic handyman, did a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. And then we really narrowed down on Windows because that was kind of our specialty. But I've been looking for opportunities to expand back into some of the other larger stuff now that we've gotten our Windows department, our division, whatever, really dialed mm-hmm. in. So wood flooring has been one of those, plaster has been another. And I was talking with a business owner who had a company that lined up with one of those other divisions. And he's been in business for 40 plus years. And he's like looking to retire and sell his business. And I said, well, send me your financials. I'll take a look at it and see. It might be a good thing that I can just, I can hire your employees. I can get your clients. I get the stuff that you have and we'll just roll it in here. And I was looking over the books and I was like, man, he's just, he's making a lot of money. This is great. I could net an extra quarter of a million dollars a year just by Mm -hmm. bringing this business in. And then as I'm digging through it, I'm like, how is he doing that? What am I doing wrong, right? (laughs) This guy's got a lot of profit, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're paying your employees minimum wage and then you're paying them their other rate. You know, So say somebody makes $25 an hour, he's only making $7.85 an hour on the books. The rest of it's under the table. Mm. And you're not paying, so you're not paying taxes and no workers' comp insurance on them and all this stuff. And I went, okay, well, just because you've been doing it that way doesn't mean I can't buy your client list. Let's see. And I ran the numbers and I looked at it. I was like, I could bring them all on and run it just this way and make an extra, like I said, about basically every year, a quarter of a million dollars in net profit. Yeah. Or if I brought them all on and did it the right way with insurance and legal as employees and everything, maybe break even. And I was like, mm. I can't, I can't do it. I would love to, but the way that these people are being paid, the way this business is priced, you know, if I raise prices by 50%, I'm going to lose all your clients. Right. So I just had to pass on the opportunity, but it's a great price for the business. He had a ton of reach, had a bunch of repeat customers. And I was like, it really broke my heart to be like, I 
I can't do that. But I was like, I don't want, you know, the last thing I want is somebody to come back later and be like, you know, you did me wrong. Or the government's like, hey, by the way, you owe us a couple million dollars in back taxes because you've been cheating. Yeah. You know, like that's been the biggest thing for me is like, I want to sleep well at night. You know, let's say the business just takes off and is huge. I want it to be in an opportunity where it took off and was huge because God blessed it because I did things the right way. And yeah. I'm not waiting for the other shoe to drop when somebody comes and files a lawsuit for wrongful this or wrong for that. I was like, I'm right. going to do everything. I'll make mistakes, right? I'm, sure. I'm human. Sure. I'm a business owner like anybody, but I'm yeah. not going to make those mistakes on purpose. Right. Yeah. And I think we got to realize as believers in business that there is always the presence of temptation. It's not like I think ever in life where no temptation exists, maybe we get stronger in our the substance of our faith, what makes us who we are, those kinds of things. I think that is certainly happening. It's growing. We're growing in our faith. But temptations do come. And in that particular example, it looked like this guy was just netting a quarter of a million dollars extra and was never going to get, I mean, he'd been doing it for however long and he's never going to get caught and all this kind of stuff. He can hand it right off to you. Yeah. Boy, that that can seem tempting. And I think we got to oh, be yeah. careful not to be deceived, right? Because that stuff, even if you don't get caught, whatever you take that really doesn't belong to you is a snare. <laughs> Well, and it's just, a, I do think it is a slippery slope. It's like, if, yeah. you, like, if you're willing to cheat on this one thing, then why would yeah. you not cheat on all these other things? Yeah. You know, cheating in business, it's like, if you're a cheater, you're a cheater. If, if you don't have a problem cheating in one area of your life, what's to say you're not going to cheat in other areas of your life? Because it's easy to just head down there. And I, to the point of temptation, I think, you know, if Satan's going to try and tempt Jesus like he did, I have a feeling he's going to come after me too. I mean, he, I'm a much easier target than the son of God. To be like, yeah, exactly. If he's exactly. like, maybe I could turn him. It's like, he's like, oh, I could totally take Scott down. Let me, <laughs> let me, let me do this. It's like, I'm a way easier target than him. So I don't have any doubt that there's a target on my back. Yeah. And I'm just not going to give him the opportunity. Yeah. And I think that we, we got to be mindful that temptation, even in the case of the son of God being tempted, I think sometimes we try to sterilize that engagement. You know, it's like, okay, here's Satan coming and, and Jesus is being tempted. Obviously, we're talking about in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting, and all of that stuff. But the fact is that it was a real temptation. And I think Jesus faced that temptation and it was really tempted. Okay, <laughs> otherwise it wouldn't be the temptation of Christ. But he was also resilient in the place of it and gave us an incredible example and was prepared for that as well with tools that he gained in study, in devotion, in time with his father, you know, those kinds of things, which I think are the things also that are going to help us defend our hearts and lives from being deceived. So that's yeah. we've used that not so much that we've used it with our folks, but for me, that's been how Jesus typically fought back the temptation with scripture, you know, yeah. well, it's written, it said this, this, and he, he can quote scripture back. And we've had that conversation with our crews where it's like, well, I'm going to, I'm going through this. It's like, well, you know, work at all things as if you're working for the Lord. Like, how would you do this? It's like my point, I may not quote scripture to some of the people who work for me who are not yeah. believers because they don't yeah. care as much about that. But yeah. for the folks here who are believers, and for anybody, it's the same mentality for me. It was like, well, you should do good work. You know, work like the client is watching you every time. You know, do that kind of stuff. 
And then we've also, for us, a big thing for the business is Jesus is all about people. So for us, culture is huge. It's, you know, we have a lot of folks who work here who are like, I just, I've never had a company that treats me like that. Mm. Well, why would we not? I mean, we didn't have health insurance available for our people and we stretched and added it during COVID. So in April of last year, we were like, well, we're going to add healthcare, health insurance, because we could tell if people were stressed out to the max and we're like, well, we've been working towards this. We're not quite there yet, but we're going to leap and pray that God's going to support us and be faithful what we have and cut back in a few places so we can afford it. Those people are what really matter here. That's what makes the difference in that that culture. We're not, we can change our clients' lives a bit, but the the lives that we can affect through this business are the people who are in the business. That is huge. I mean, you said two things here that I'm taking notes here. That's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) The change opportunity that you have is something I want to come back to. Earlier, you said doing everything as unto the Lord himself. And I wanted to unpack that a little bit with you because it's also something that rings true to me, you know, in business. How do you find those opportunities? How do you visualize that? What is it that you use as a reminder about doing everything? We know that's scripture. Okay. Do everything you do heartily as unto the Lord and not as to men, because the Lord's going to give you the one who's going to give you the reward of life itself is coming from the Lord, right? So mm-hmm. tell me if there's some things you want to mention or just expand that a touch for us. What does it mean to you to do all things as unto the Lord? And how does that express itself? You know, this goes back to my time in musical theater where I would, uh, I was, and it's like this, I think in a lot of industries, I was always very frustrated sometimes. It'd be like, I'd go to an audition. I'm like, I nailed it. I was I, I saw, I heard all the other guys in there. I was the best one for this part. Yeah. But I maybe I don't have the connections and I didn't know the person. And so I didn't get the job because I didn't have drinks with the producer last week or, or something right. like that. Mm-hmm. And it's the same in every business. You're like, when you have that connection, they're like, well, you're a known entity. I know you're not crazy. You may be talented, but you could be the worst contractor we ever hired. Once they know you, then they can trust you. Right. And that always bothered me. I was like, you know what? I'm going out here. I'm doing the best I possibly can. And I could feel comfortable that I could come back and spend some time in prayer and be like, I did the absolute best that I could do. Yeah. And I could sit before God and he'd be like, yep, that was, you gave it everything you had. And I'm pleased with your performance. Mm. I'm pleased with what you just did today. And if the client didn't hire you or the job, you didn't get the part or whatever, that's just a stone in the road that you weren't meant to step on. And I'm okay with that. You know, my, my father did, there was something that we would always, he'd always bring up and I still have to remember it, that he'd be like, you know, as long as I've done everything that I possibly can and I've done it to the best of my ability, then it's in God's hands and you can just kind of rest and relax. And yeah. for me, that's, that's a big part of it. It's like, I'm going to do it the best I possibly can because, you know, maybe I'm not the best at this, but the only thing I can do is do my best and yeah. make my best better each time as I practice and things like that. Right. But after that, it's in his hands. And there's a real rest for me in that when it's in God's hands, I could just, it takes the the stress off of me. It takes the rest. And if some clients unhappy, I'd be like, I gave you everything I got. Yeah. And I couldn't have worked harder or done better for you. Right. I can relax in that. I feel that rest in God with that kind of working ethic. That I think... I think that's something that we mature into, right? 
every deal I got a shot at. That was my deal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of course, there's an advantage to approaching it that way. Not that you get every deal. Of course, I didn't. But you are, I think, taking responsibility and taking ownership for the opportunity that you're getting. I think that's a good thing. But also, it can be a huge source of frustration if you don't end up getting one or two or many of those deals that you think were yours to get. So I think we mature into the place that you're talking about. And I know there's probably further maturing that I'm still going through, as as we all are. But I want to applaud you for you participating with this grace from God to mature into what it is that is a wholesome and sort of seems like that would really relieve some of this self-imposed pressure that we put on ourselves to perform. Yeah. I mean, we talk here all the time with the crew about perspective. And if you come in here going like, say it's on a sales side of things like, man, I want this job. This is, we're going to get this job and I've done everything I can. And then I'd like try and shoehorn it in and adjust the job, change the bid where we might lose a little bit of money, but it could work or whatever. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to force something, you know, a square peg in a round hole that, doesn't work, I'm probably going to be miserable if I did get it. And when I don't get it, that can be just as much of a blessing. And there was one very large job we had that was close to a million dollars that I really shoved that square peg into that round hole. And it almost brought the business down. And from then I was like, you know what, I've lost, we've lost a lot of bids where I went, we're going to get this. And it just didn't happen for one reason or another. And I can rest in the fact I'm like, that probably would have made, all I can know is that maybe that job would have put me out of business. So I'm glad I didn't get it. Yes. This little one, this is fine. So yeah. it's like the ones I got are the reason I'm still here. And the ones I didn't get are also the reason I'm still here. That's a great way to say that. I haven't thought about it like that, but it is true. I mean, not everything that looks, you know, shiny is gold, right? I mean, yes. It might look very looks shiny. Looks can be deceiving. Yeah. yeah it, 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 I, yeah, I've gotten some of those jobs that I later wished, hmm, maybe I. There's, sometimes there's clients that you need to fire. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, for real. That's a big part of what we do in our business. The respect aspect that I think you take very seriously, you know, is something that you look for in mutuality as well. You're trying to show your clients their environment, their home, their family. You're trying to show them the utmost respect. I think it's pretty interesting the fact that you know, it's, it sets up a real interesting kind of dynamic, if you will. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, respect I mean, we, there we, is huge. When the crews are there, they're, you know, it's like, and I had this issue with contractors coming to my house. I was like, I don't really feel comfortable with y'all working here. If I got to go to work, I don't, I don't want to leave you in my house with my wife or with my kids, you know, but I wanted a company that you'd feel comfortable. And we have a lot of clients like, here's the key. Just let us know when you're going to come, <laughs> when you're going to leave. And I'm like, I love that. That means we're doing our job, right? If they feel that yeah. comfortable, because they got their family jewelry somewhere in the room or whatever. It's like that. We're not going to go through their stuff where everything's going to be right where they expect it to be. And, you know, I had a client once who said, you know, be careful working around that window, that vase on top of the mantles, a $90,000 vase. And I was like, I'll tell you what, I'm not going to move the vase. You take the vase and you go put it someplace else safe. (laughs) It was like, not that I don't trust my people. It was like, but somebody's going to bump into it and it's going to fall down. And I don't want to have that conversation with you. So setting some of those safe boundaries where you go, it's just better. Let's, let's just have some boundaries and we're all going to work better together that way. Man. And experience also (laughs) is informing our necessity of boundaries. You know, Mm -hmm. people always think about why are business contracts so long? 
And I think as the business ages, the kinds of experience that you have, that everything in that contract is based on a negative surprise for the business owner most of the time. You know what yep. I'm saying? Yeah, I can name, like, yeah, we name <laughs> our clauses. This is the so-and-so clause or the whoever clause. Uh-huh. You know, it came exactly. from that client on this job. So that's yeah. why we have that clause. Yeah. Of course, some of them are too long. Yeah, I've got a lot of friends who are lawyers, family members who are lawyers. They're probably going to cringe hearing this if they do. But I realize there's something about a lawyer who wants to make a contract even longer. <laughs> you know, that does happen. But, yeah. you know, it's not for no reason that you have uh, the Smith Clause. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. You only read them when things go south and you're like, what was actually in my contract? And I, you know, I didn't realize it till a pandemic that I was like, I don't have anything in my contract about pandemics. Who would have thought about that two years ago? But there is something in there now. Yeah. You know, when somebody held my feet to the fire and they're like, you're not hitting your schedule. It's like my whole crew is out with COVID or COVID exposure. So, I mean, what do you expect from me? I can't legally bring them into work. Yeah. Then you've got the Ralph clause (laughs) or Mm -hmm. whatever, whatever the person may be. So one final thing I want to kind of wrap it up. And again, let's make sure and get those links from you. It's been a joy to be with you here, Scott, fellow Scott of mine, by the way. It's been really good here. Two Scots from Texas. This podcast was going to be awesome. I don't know. Uh, When you got Scott squared together, it's crazy. I'm telling you. We're going to break here for part two of this interview with Scott Seidler. Make sure you come back next time for the conclusion where we dive deeper into how integrity requires faith. Thank you for joining Scott with today's Leadership Moment. We hope you've apprehended an inspirational nugget or two that when activated in your own life will be imparted into those you lead. You may contact Scott at scott at fxmissions.com. Visit fxmissions.com to learn more about how you can grow your own leadership and engage in missions. Until next time, good day, everyone.